0: I'd like you to take your Bibles. Thank you very much, Heather. I, uh, I didn't know as much about hope until we had raised some money to provide meals for those over in Africa or possibly Africa with Greg Hubbard. And, uh, and I got to know a little more about them and a little more research into them and, and found the value of what all they do do. And, and uh, it's a great thing. It really is. How many ever been in a famine? How many's ever been in a famine? I don't pronounce every word real clear, so F-A-M-I-N-E, famine. And you you may think, oh, man, how many's ever been out somewhere like, uh, let's see. Friday night, my wife and I were, were taking the girls to, to go with their dad, and we went to, we were going to Cape, and we got delayed, blah, 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 but I was famished. I thought I was going to starve to death. I hadn't eaten since breakfast, and I was going nuts, and we had my favorite meal picked out. My brother-in-law went with us, and, and we went over to uh, East Cape Girardeau and bought catfish from BB's, babies. At least it was good. Even if it was fish, It was good. But, but famines happen. We're going to go to the book of Judges in chapter 2, and I'll tell you where to go in just a minute. What causes drought? And I don't just mean, I don't, I don't mean a famine. What causes a famine? I don't mean just a famine of things that we have, that we can't have food to eat. We don't have enough produce, enough vegetables, enough things to eat. I'm talking about a lot of famines, different styles of famine, Um, people what causes it because many people don't watch for it it happens uh, a sudden calamity a lack of planning no purpose in living there's not a purposeful reason through living the living uh, aimlessly and there are consequences to how we live and I want to talk to us today about creating a famine in our life and not only in ours but in those that come after us because we do it all the time In chapter two of Judges, oh, this is after the, the reign and, and rule or whatever you want to call it that Joshua had as the leader of Israel and they went through so many things. And Joshua had been there when he went through the wilderness and he seen the fire by night and the cloud by day. He seen the, uh, the bread fall from heaven, the, the manna. He, he saw the quail fall at different times and he saw the rock come out of, water come out of a rock and he just seen so many miracles. He was just so full of, of what God had done over the years. But that doesn't guarantee the next generation gets it. That doesn't guarantee the things that we do here and we enter into to worship and we do things a certain way, it doesn't mean that our our children, our offspring, get the information that we're trying to get across to them. In Joshua chapter two and verse seven, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works that the Lord had done That he had did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, servant of of the Lord died. Been 110 years. Do you really think about what uh, will come after you? I never thought about death a whole lot. And and not that I should or that you should either. But what kind of an impact are we leaving upon our family, upon the generations around us by simply how we live? It never really was a big concern of mine when I was younger, but now that I'm getting older, and it's inevitable that certain things are happening. The whole time that Joshua was there, everybody seemed to kind of go with the crowd and kind of follow along. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance. In that word, Timothy, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north of the side of the hill, Gash. And also the generation, and all, and also all the generation were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord nor yet the works that He had done for them. And it concerned me when I, I heard that and I read that a few weeks ago, and I began to think about another generation raises up, and 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 there hopeless, and they're, they're, they're careless, and they begin to live in ways that are, that are not pleased and nothing like their, their forefathers. What, how do we live in ways today that are different than our parents did and our, our grandparents? We may have, we have, we have style differences and, and different ways that we do things, but there's still a basis on what we believe. How can a whole generation raise up who didn't know the God of Joshua, how could a whole generation raise itself up and, and not know him anything about him? All the days of the elders, too. And let me say something about that. It wasn't just Joshua's uh, influence, it wasn't just his, his presence when people worshiped because he did, but there was something about the elders of that time. But eventually, they all grew old and died too. Do you understand Philip Nicky? Do understand Ed? Do you all understand that someday you will in turn grow up and and not grow up, but you'll get older? And what happens to the generation that's watched your life? It bothers me, it bothers me to think that we've got to do something to make an impact upon this place in which we live. There arose another generation that knew not the Lord. You would think that even by their by their grandparents, by Joshua, and by all the leaders of that time, that they would know something about him, but they knew nothing. And so, when people don't, don't know anything, what do they begin to turn to? Things that are easily available. How? Because their example was gone. That's how they failed. And, now, and I'll pick on, I want to say something about the elders and, and Joshua. They failed to initiate this, this message a bit about God and, and the respect for him to the generation to come. You may not think this is really uh, related to you this morning, but it will before we're done. Because... The older generation had failed to, to plan. They failed to teach. The older generation thought that they were just too old maybe. Maybe they were relative or out of touch to teach it. The older generation didn't show an interest in the next generation. And that's a shame because the same way with Hope International, same way with the Parisists, we don't, we don't show a lot of attention to things unless they apply to us, things unless they're important to us. This older generation failed to fail to communicate the value of who God was. So, how do we teach this? How does this generation, we have these young kids in here? Let me let me speak to everyone in here for a moment. We're in here and, and we come to church every Sunday and we stand and we raise our hands and we worship and and all these things, but let me let me go back in time. A few years ago, I I said something I felt was profound for our church that I've got to think that our church will still be established 50 years from now. Where would this church, church be 50 years from now? If, it does, if, if I just do things and, and, and want our church to be uh, around for a while, I'm here, that's the wrong mentality, that's the wrong thinking because the reality is I'm leaving at some point. And what happens to this church it, it can't rely upon the, the pastor or, or just upon the elders that are here. It has to fall upon the hands upon the responsibilities of younger ones. Fifty years ago, 50 years from now, we would be in this church. Many of you will still be here if we remain faithful. But you are to be taught by all of us who are older. Am I making sense? The the, how we worship, the way we raise our hands, the things we expect and and believe and and command in faith to happen. Man, I hate to think that all these new babies are being born and and all these things are happening, and and all these things would would begin to go away as soon as the the elders of the of Generation Me dies. We teach them by watching. I mean, they watch us, they see us by our actions, by our speech, by our worship, by our attitude, by our experience. I can tell you my experiences, and they may resonate a little bit within you, but they don't get deep in your heart. But if you would begin to go off of things you've heard and things you've been taught, you begin to develop your own relationship with Christ. And he'll prove himself to you if you'll just give him a chance. I'll tell you something that always happens. And this is something that there's a, a great attempt in America to, to do away with our faith and to do away with Christians and, and put us in a box and, and say that they're the group that's always a little bit crazy. And, and every country, any country that ever loses a relationship, they don't have a remnant, they don't have a core, they don't have a, a, a group of people that remains faithful to the Lord, that country begins to be, begins to implode. It be, everybody begins to turn on themselves. It can't survive. God is the hub on which we all survive. And in turn, a famine come in, comes in. Now think of a famine and how desperate that is. If you're hungry enough, and you're thirsty enough for an hour, now we, we can, we provide food here. We give food once a month and other churches do the same thing and you can go get access to things that come freely. But there's something about us and what we're teaching, something about how we live and something about our example. May it not be us that fail to teach it, that fail to live it. It is not, it is not just for our generation. If there's one thing that happens in the church so often that people seem to get kind of gomped up about. I was talking to a guy yesterday about about some church issues and and where he goes and and I fell for him, but I, I began to think about how many times we have issues, we have issues, but God doesn't have an issue with the problem. You know, we get a, a little strung out on what we think is so important, but really God is not that, is not as involved in that being an issue of, of what we are. Generations. There's two places in Psalms about the generations that come, I know, and declare unto and the next generation. That's in Psalm 78 Psalm 102, verse 18 says, it is written for the generations to come. Things are written, things are established. Let me ask you, how many believe in God here this morning? Now, I mean, I'm gonna see every hand if you don't mind. I'll, I'll do this pretty often, but how many believe in God? You believe. So if you believe, in turn, is your responsibility to teach and to show it. And proclaim it. And make it an issue. Because if we don't, and I'm talking not nationwide. I'm talking about all of Missouri. I'm talking in Stoddard County. If this group of people will make it, a, 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 a make it an issue, then we proclaim that he is truth. He is just. He will heal. And he can. And he's a deliverer. And he does a lot of great things in, in anyone's life who's willing, if you believe There'd be no famine in Stoddard County. It's amazing how Israel, many times when they were following, the Lord, they could be in the darkest of times, but yet they were provided for. Even in Egypt, when the, the death things were moved upon all of Egypt, and it went about and went to all the, the houses that were uh, that were not covered with the blood, and those houses were, were were covered with blood were spared, and those that were not were devastated. There's something about being under under God's uh, anti famine. That makes sense anti-famine rule that it works in your life and it always will even when you don't even own that and you don't understand a lot of things there's a lot of famine that comes about let me tell you a a place that and oh boy I gotta slow down I'm gonna take you to a famous place it's famous in in my life and, and it's Luke 15 Luke 15 personal famine you can look in your life and you can look at the things over the past. Maybe you have grandparents and parents who have always established what was right, what was wrong, and, and they had a, a great value and they taught you and, and they disciplined you and, and all these things. But there's a place that many of us get sometimes in our lives Do we no longer think that we need this in our life. Look in uh, Luke 15 and verse 11. Famine happens when you want something that we didn't want for. We want inheritance and we don't want any strings attached. It's amazing how many people want all the luxuries of life without working for them. They, they want to live, live in the best of, of, comfort, of ease, comfort and ease of, of all the things of life, and yet they don't want to pay the price to attain it. And we have the rich young root, not the rich young ruler, but the, the, the prodigal son here. He goes to his father in verse 11, and he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. And he divided them his living. How many has ever heard this before? How many times have I ever read this scripture before? More than any other passage in the Bible, I've read this one. I think for some reason that many of us can relate to this. We relate to this rich and ruler, and we 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 see. I like to have all these frills and all the things that he he received from his father to go out and and have. But the father of his said his. The younger said to his father, "Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and divideth unto him his living." And he divided unto them not the resources, his living, everything that he'd ever taught them. I think that when he gave them their inheritance, I think he sat in and talked to them about the things that, that gave them its inheritance, the things that were paid for by the sweat and by the discipline of this man. I believe he instilled and tried to instill one last time into their lives before he gave it to them. And not many days after, the young son gathered together all and took his journey to a far country and he wasted his substance with righteous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. There was only one place we could go on to the rest of this, and I won't, I won't really kill you with all the details. But there was only one place he could find relief, and that was with his father. That was with his father, everything he had had and all that he knew it created a famine, and he had a fam he had a, a, a famine. Of course, it was a spiritual famine as much as it was a, a hunger fam- famine. And it concerns me that we have a family of this magnitude in our church in our country. Parents, don't be afraid to stand up for what is right. Don't be afraid to stand up for what is right. It is not always easy. It is not always comfortable. Some of these younger parents need to know that there's a price to pray, pay and th- that you have to establish some things that are right and wrong. And the world may say it's right, but God says it's wrong. Then it's wrong. And you need to have in your heart, and I can't, I can't, esta- can't, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Express, thank you, honey. I can't express how, how strongly this is that if you don't want famine in your life, and I wonder how many people have at one time have served the Lord and, and gave him all that they had. And then, and then later in the years, later in their life, they begin to become so desolate and so empty feeling and so spiritually empty. It's because you as a teacher many times was not teaching the value of what the book says. If you don't teach it, you're not going to apply it to your life. It's easy to come to church, and we can do all the right things, but if we don't really teach it and don't really live it, it's not seeking into our offspring. He didn't, understand, he didn't understand how his father had obtained his wealth. He didn't respect his father or his wealth. He didn't recognize his father's values, his father's way of life. Verse fourteen, he began to be in want. Famine had moved in, and it caused—and what it caused his famine, because he wouldn't listen. You know, I, I believe with all my heart that if he listened to his father and his speech and his talking as he gave him his inheritance, he could have taken his wealth and invested it and done with it and become even more wealthy. But he would refuse to listen. At least he tried. Father did. How did his famine end? How did his spiritual famine end? Since when he came to himself and he made his way back down the road, the road humility, and he made his way back to his father. When his father saw him a long way off, you know the story, and many times I've read it, but he finally had value for what his father believed and what he lived. We cannot afford to let our offspring do whatever, think whatever, and let's just stand back and let it go. I'm not telling you they're all gonna be perfect and they're all gonna listen to everything you have to say, but there's there's something about a, an individual, personal family that we create in our life, it's because we allow it many times. I'd like you to go to 1 Samuel chapter three. But the good thing about the son, about the prodigal, the good, what's, what's the good thing about the prodigal? He came home. He he realized that he didn't know it all, even though he tried to do everything on his own and he lived out and went out and lived a, a rather questionable lifestyle. But at least he came to himself and he valued just what his father said. He valued what his father said. First Samuel chapter 3. And the child Samuel ministered into the Lord, to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days because there was no open vision. Let me read it to you in the NIV. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There was not many visions. Why was it rare? And why the house of Eli and in, in his, in his, in his temple, you would say, was it so rare? It was rare because of things that he had done as a father. Not going to—I'm going to read it to you in just a minute, chapter two. But there was something going on. God was raising up someone who was how old? It said that he was just weaned. He was just—he was just done nursing. He may have been five or six years old. He, and, Not that they'd done it that long, but he was about five or six years old. And he went to the temple and he was about the Lord's business. But it was proper training that the man Eli knew how to train him in his old age. But he never did acknowledge things and do things right in the lives of Phoenix and his two sons. Go back to chapter two. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord. Chapter two, chapter chapter two, verse 22. Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all of Israel, and how that they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the temple of the congregation, he said unto them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all the people. Nay, my sons, it is better, it is it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people a transgress. If one man sinned against another, the judge shall have judge of him. but if a man sinned against the Lord, who shall entreat him and treat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their Father, because the Lord, because the Lord would slay them. And the child Samuel grew on, and was in favor with men and with the Lord. There is something that happens whenever you don't teach and you don't admonish, and you don't pro- proclaim a, pub- a public thing within our lives. Am I making any sense? It's like maybe you come to church and you think there's responsibilities to someone there and, and, and it is our responsibility. When you come to church, you should come for, for something to be challenged and challenging you spiritually, not just, uh, not just doing it because somebody else does. But you as a father, are you challenging your kids? Are you commanding the respect and and, and what is right and wrong? Let's play someone go. Amos. If you can come back up, guys. Amos chapter eight. Famines. How many of you have ever felt like you've been in a spiritual famine? I have. It's It's a rather empty, rather lonely feeling. Everybody awake. Verse 11 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from north, even to east, they shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, and they shall not find it. Why and how could we get to the place that we would have a spiritual famine and God would not speak. He won't speak. How many's ever made their wife mad? She wouldn't talk to you. How many's ever made your husband mad? You wouldn't talk to him. I mean, let me say this: you made your husband mad. He wouldn't talk to you. Rather, it's a hurt relationship. And when the people don't value God enough in that relationship, God for wife's back there. It's okay. I wonder how, how did they get in this place, such a place of famine. How did they get in such a place of famine. It didn't happen quickly. It happened over a long period of time. In every one of our lives, we all have things that are pulling us a, a variety of ways. Things that pull us with work and, and that's understandable to some degree, but, but things that pull us away with, with activity. Things that pull us away. Now I think other things have become so important They didn't place emphasis where it needed to be with the Lord. Aimlessness is spiritually lost, seeking everywhere, desperate to hear anything. How terrible is it when God cannot be found? There's a time that the the heavens seem as brass and seems to bounce up and bounce back down to you, but But there is a legitimate place and there's a time when God no longer He pulls His hand. He pulls His hand off your life and He pulls His hand off our country. I begin to think about all the things in our country which was is anything but abomination to God. And I can give you a whole list. And we rarely bat an eye because we see these things and we hear these things. That's so we don't teach our kids. The difference. We become in a spiritual famine across the country. How could God come down to sh- show his presence and show his power and show his anointing in our life if if we got so much of this stuff in there? It's, it's crowding it out. So what I decided to do this morning I pray that we don't have a spiritual famine pray that we don't have any kind of famine here in America especially in this house in this county And that means you have to put action to something. And you have to put action to something. You as a parent, what you allow in your house, what you allow in your house will be magnified outside your house.